0: Well, I just want to begin by saying what a pathetic, miserable expression of winter we've had so far. (laughs) I was expecting more snow, and uh, once again, I've been cheated. So anyway, March is our biggest snow month, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I know some of you share my sentiments. Some of you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, now I'm going to pick up for the next few weeks this recalibrating uh, series. I want to finish it up, and then I'm going to go back uh, and pick up again uh, and finish off the apologetics series after that. But um, just to very briefly catch you up where we are in all of this, um, we've talked about three essential practices for recalibrating our faith in Christ, the first of which is repentance, the second of which is guarding our heart. So we spent a lot of time on those. And now we're in the middle of what is called constancy. And so there are five parts to this constancy about uh, how to recalibrate our faith. And we are on the second part of that. Uh, so on the next slide, if you go to that one, we are on B, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, biblical virtues, and then the spiritual disciplines. So I really hope that you are engaging this. You know, uh, the primary role of the pastor, in addition to visiting, caregiving, um, doing all those kinds of things that a pastor should do, the primary role of a pastor, according to the scriptures, is to prepare the laity for ministry. That's, the, that's my primary role. That if I have not taken the time, if I have not done my due diligence in at least offering to us, to all of you, what's necessary in order for you to live your life in a way that you can effectively do ministry, that I have not done my job. But I want to also say that increasingly, and I think that most of you would agree with me, that we really do live in a time and in a world where the the world desperately needs more than what it's gotten in the past in terms of Christians who are willing to engage them, help them out of what, what appears to be a time of deepening darkness. And, so, um, and so, it, it, so it can't just fall to people like me, the alleged professionals, uh, it, it falls to all of us about how to do ministry. And I'm always gratified because I am approached by a number of you uh fairly regularly about with ideas or things that you want to do about how we can benefit people and we can be a blessing to people and uh and so and so a number of you uh take that responsibility seriously, and I'm very thankful that you are that way so um, as we begin then uh this part about the fruit of the Spirit, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. This is probably one of the more better-known passages in the New Testament, certainly one of the better-known ones in the book of Galatians. So we're going to spend some time on this. Uh, I think I'm going to take some, hopefully, some different... Angles to it that will help us to appreciate the text more than maybe what we do already. So in your Bibles, you want to turn to that, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I'll begin by by stating, and by the way, as I read through this, I want you to note how many times and in what different ways the Spirit is referred to in a relatively short period of Scripture. It's kind of interesting. Uh important. So the Apostle Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do things, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires." So the Apostle Paul here, I'm sorry, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so so the Apostle Paul is focusing here on what has been true of all of humanity, is that we are prone to fail on our, the side of, our, of pleasure, the side of um, our, our flesh, our worldliness. And so it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul in his list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not nearly as comprehensive as his list of the works of the flesh, right? That list is pretty long, uh, pretty descriptive. And I suspect that when we look at that list, we see things like uh, witchcraft or whatever, and we think, well, I don't do any of that, and so we almost dismiss anything else in the list because we think that's kind of extreme for the Apostle Paul to mention. But these other things count too. They matter. They're just as important as any as the other things that he would list that may not apply to your average normal person. Um, so then... Um, There's this real emphasis then on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and the role that He plays in our life, and how that role manifests itself in the fruits of the Spirit. And that if we participate in the works of the flesh according to the world, it would seem to indicate that, at the very least, uh, that the that the Holy Spirit in our life has been severely diminished, and at, at the worst, that there's really no Holy Spirit in our life. We read here in John chapter 14, verse 16... And this is about the time that Jesus is we're entering into the period of the Gospel of John where he's beginning, this is like the passion, the beginning part of the passion of Christ, where he's talking about what's going to happen uh, you know, after he goes. And he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, Paracletos, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So there is this promise from Jesus that he will send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, after he ascends. And the role of this Holy Spirit is to dwell with us, among us, and to be in us. So that God, who is beyond this area that we live in, who... Is beyond the planet that we live on, who is beyond the solar system that we find ourselves in, who's beyond the galaxy that our solar system is contained in, who's beyond the cluster of hundreds of billions of, of solar systems that are in galaxies, and hundreds of billions of galaxies that are in clusters, and hundreds and hundreds of billions of super of clusters that are in superclusters and so on. That God who is transcendent in all of those ways, who is beyond all of that, is also not only transcendent, he is imminent. And that immanence is that he is not only beside us in the sense that he dwells with us, he dwells in us. That is the comprehensive nature of the omnipresence of God in our lives. And the Apostle Paul is saying here that if it's true that the third person of the Trinity, this Holy Spirit lives within us, that it ought to manifest itself in the fruit of the Spirit. That when the Spirit is present, this fruit is present. And if the fruit isn't present, then at the, then the, the, then at the very least we have suppressed the Spirit in our life or there is no spirit in our life, and therefore no salvation for us either. So we read here then, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This is after the ascension of Jesus. They were in Jerusalem, the apostles and Luke records, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house they were sitting. And divided tongues as of, and, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them, and rested, that is dwelt, on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled. The Holy Spirit was in. So the promise that Jesus made, that he was going to send the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, the promise that he made that he would dwell among them and that he would be in them is exhibited here in Acts chapter 2. This is when God sends the Holy Spirit to be present throughout the whole world, but particularly to dwell among Christians and in Christians. This is fulfilled here in Acts chapter 2. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that part. I think that was unique to that situation at that time. But the overarching truth that we derive from this particular text is how the Holy Spirit was sent. This is a big deal It is interesting, uh, and this is kind of a side, kind of a, or a little bit of a rabbit trail, but you know that, and this has been my observation, that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in the Reformed tradition, there is a particular emphasis on God the Father. But in an evangelical tradition, like like what ours would be, there is a particular emphasis on Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, there is an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. We are a Trinitarian people. Our uh, orthodoxy says that the Godhead is comprised of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, within our tradition, there doesn't seem to be the appreciation or emphasis about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, looking at this text again about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the believer from Galatians 5, 16 through 26, you can, it, you, you can extract from that text the following five phrases. Walk by the Spirit. In other words, um, if, you, no, if you go on to the, go ahead there, Brie, I have a list of where it says presence of the Holy Spirit and the believer. Yep, thank you. So walk by the Spirit. In other words, seek and be near His presence, led by the Spirit, so in His presence, we are guided by Him. Then we have the fruit of the uh, no, I'm going to live by the Spirit, which is the fourth one, seek to be in His presence, and keep in step with the Spirit, that is, have companionship, mirroring in your life His presence. But the fruit of the Spirit is the only one that has to do with production. All the, all the others have to do with presence. The fruit of the Spirit has to do with production. That if we walk, if we are led, if we live by, if we keep in step, we will produce the fruit. Because the Holy Spirit can't help but produce what He is, He's not going to produce a horse. He's going to produce himself in the life of the believer. If the Holy Spirit is in our life, it automatically means that we will produce fruit. And that fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul outlines as well as others. So of these five, all the other ones talk about presence. But the fruit of the Spirit talks about production. It's central. It's central. what it means to be in the presence or to have the Holy Spirit be present in our lives. Now the gift and the role of the Holy Spirit, this is just my list off the top of my head, there are others I'm not going to take a deep dive into this but this will help you to understand what what some of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do convict the world of sin comfort the believer advocate on behalf of the believer in our prayers to defend us protect the believer from evil forces, guide the believer into Christ's likeness empower the believer over sin and darkness. The only way that the believer can produce fruit is if they are in the presence of the Holy Spirit, if they are guided, if they keep in step, if they walk by, all of those presence themes the only way that we can produce fruit the fruit that paul outlines is if we are in the present and not 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 only that but it's the holy spirit who gives us the ability to have power over our fallen nature and the sin that we have that prior to coming to faith in christ we have no power over sin it controls us so that list that negative list of the apostle paul outlined, the works of the flesh, those things continue to have power over us. They control us. They influence us. But it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life that gives us power over those things so that we can be victorious over our fallenness in the sin that's a part of our life. So there's no excuse for the believer. He not only gives us the power over sin, because he lives in us, but it's through him, then, that we are able to produce the fruit that's from him into the world in which we find ourselves and live. So let me say this again. This is a really big deal. This is probably where we fall down. This is the thing that probably keeps the church from having the kind of impact that it could have. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no fruit of the Spirit. There is a correlation and causation relationship here. There is a direct correlation between the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in the believer and obvious causation of the fruit of the Spirit in the believer. The greater the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, the more there is of the fruit of the Spirit. I just want you to think about that for a moment. The greater the manifestation manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, the more there is of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of that believer. To, to the degree that the believer surrenders to the Holy Spirit, the greater the fruit in the life of the believer. So we surrender. We say, Look, we just can't, we just, I'm not going to be in control. I'm going to let you be in control. You will be my authority. I will not be my authority. I'm surrendering to you. But there's a, There's another way that you could look at this, too. I mean, there's a a variation of that. To the degree the believer submits to the Holy Spirit, the greater the degree of fruit in life. You know, you can surrender but not submit. There are all kinds of POWs out there that surrender, but it doesn't mean they've submitted, that they've conceded that the people who have them in bondage uh, are right and that they will always obey them if they don't have to. So for us as believers to be committed to surrendering to his authority and submitting to his guidance and to his teaching and to his direction, that's what our world is missing. That is oftentimes why we were called hypocrites. That is oftentimes why we feel anemic. In the world in which we find ourselves, because we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't get the courage, the comfort, we don't get the guidance, the direction, we don't get the assurance, we don't get those things that He gives to us when, we're, when we are in those places and with those people who do not value, do not think, do not have the kind of relationship with God that we might have. The fruit of the Spirit is the linchpin. For which hangs, and follow me very closely on this list. The fruit of the Spirit is the linchpin for which hangs one evidence of an authentic conversion to Christ. There are a lot of cultural Christians out there. There are a lot of Christians who just grew up Christian, and that's their value system, but that may not, in fact, be the relationship they have with God. Number two, evidence of sanctification in Christ. Then when there's fruit from the Holy Spirit, that list that he gives us, That list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. When those things are evident, it's evidence of sanctification. God working in our lives, making us over, making us holy over into the image of Christ himself. It's evidence of that. The fruit of the Spirit is the linchpin for which hangs our discipleship. Disciples exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. When Stephen, the first martyr, was recorded after he was being stoned to death in the process of dying, he he evidenced fruit of the Spirit when he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It is the linchpin, linchpin for which hangs the credibility through which we share Christ and evangelize. It's really what makes us different from the rest of the world when we exhibit the, the kind of love that is Christ's love, the kind of joy that is Christ's joy, the kind of joy, that, the kind of peace that is Christ's peace, the kind of patience that only Christ can, can have, the kind of kindness that only God can have, the kind of goodness that is the goodness of Christ, the the kind of faithfulness. That, the faith that, that Jesus exhibited uh, before his Father, the kind of gentleness that Jesus as our shepherd gives to us, the, the kind of self-control that is so clearly absent in the world in which we live. We live in a time and in a world of an extraordinary excess. But when we live according to this fruit of the Spirit here, We appear as light, with the backdrop of the world being very dark, and we can't hide what we are. It is the spirit by which we establish the kingdom of God that we, through the way in which we live our life, we provide for the world an alternative look about how things ought to be how the world ought to run, how we ought to do business, how we ought to be good neighbors, how we ought to be parents. It is the linchpin for which hangs the synonyms that we find in, other, in scripture about light and salt and talents and branches, what uh, Kevin read earlier about Jesus being uh, the vine and we are the branches. Finally, it is the substance by which we will be judged. The fruit of the Spirit is the very substance by which we will be judged, by how we loved, how we were joyful regardless of our circumstances, how we were patient with one another, how we were kind to each other, to the people in the world in which we find ourselves. You know, kindness ought to be aimed not just at our fellow believers, but at people who, are, who do not think or value or believe the way, the way that we do. I mean, there are extraordinary events throughout the course of history where the church exhibited kindness to people. Look, the whole, the whole hospital industry <laughs> is rooted in Christian kindness in kindness to people who had no faith at all. Living in faithfulness to God regardless of our circumstances, being gentle, exhibiting self-control, not not engaging in the same kind of dissipation that the world engages in. The fruit of the Spirit is the tangible description and pathway to Christ-likeness itself. We know that we are becoming Christ-like when the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives. So if the Spirit isn't there, the fruit is not there. So the question I have for all of us, exactly how much is the Spirit alive and at work in your life? And how much do we surrender and submit to him on a daily basis? How much do we resist him on a regular basis? Now, if we are going to engage in the fruit of the Spirit, if we do really think that it ought to be a part of our life in a a very, a very profound way, I need to say this. Most Christians engage in the fruit of the Spirit reactively versus proactively. Reactive engagement is passive, Proactive engagement is preemptive with forethought. So if you're like me, sometimes you just kind of like go through your day and you, maybe you're not as engaged with Jesus as you should be. And so you you go to work, or you you encounter something outside the home, or even inside the home, and you're just you're just not hooked up with with Jesus quite like you. you and so something happens, somebody says something, something is done, and all of a sudden you are caught, and you think, okay, now well, how should I act here? Because I, I have to remember, I'm a pastor. Uh, I. You, you, you belong to Conway Alliance Church. You're a Christian. So how, what, how can I be kind here? How can I be loving here? How can I be patient here? And so you're caught. And, so, and that's good. It's good if you catch yourself in that way. But I can tell you, we aren't going to win the world by being uh, reactive with the fruits of the Spirit. I would say this. I, I would say that when we get up in the morning... And we review, we think through our day and the people that we might encounter, we think, okay, when I, when I go to work and I engage with these people, I'm going to choose to be this way because I know they need to see that. I'm going to choose to be joyful because they are negative. I'm going to choose them because, choose to love them because they are difficult to love. I'm going to choose not to say some things that other people say in the the form of gossip. I'm not going to engage in that. In fact, what I'm going to do is be affirming in any way that I can be. So being proactive with the fruit of the Spirit is unleashing the Spirit in our life. It's allowing Him to speak to us and say, Now, understand that when you go here, These kinds of people are going to be there and this kind of a situation is going to be be there. And so what I want you to do is to be this kind of a person. I want you to represent me in this kind of a way. I want you to be prolific in this kind of fruit in those kinds of circumstances. What would happen? What would happen if every one of us approached our day thinking through the whole day the best we could and rehearsing in our mind and opening up our heart to how the Holy Spirit might lead us in exhibiting the necessary fruit in each of those circumstances. So that we go in aware, not unaware, on guard, not off guard. Does this make sense to you all? So when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, just to review, love means to be noble and sacrificial and unconditional. That we love in a noble sort of way. We take the high ground about how we love people. We do something for them that is sacrificial. Our spouse, our children, our friends, our family, our colleagues, and it's unconditional. There's, there's no condition that they have to meet. We're just, we're just going to do something that's loving. We're going to express uh, a sentiment that's caring without expecting anything back. Joy. I always think it's fascinating that the Apostle Paul comes up with joy right after love. Because I do think that joy is probably that thing that separates us, in addition to love, that separates us from the rest of the world most clearly. It is a feeling evoked by well-being or good fortune and occurs for a brief and so the difference between joy and love is joy and happiness is this. Joy is a feeling evoked by well-being or good fortune. and occurs for a brief, defined period, I'm sorry, uh, that is that, that's uh, I, I, I should have included a part here and I didn't. So happiness is a feeling evoked by well-being or good fortune and occurs for a brief and defined period of time. Happiness is a state of well-being and tends to be externally triggered based on other people, things, places, thoughts, and events. Joy is more consistent and is cultivated internally, particularly by God, and comes when you make peace with whom, with who you are and why you are and how you are. There is a difference between joy and happiness. Peace, irene, the Greek word for shalom in the New Testament. The way that leads to peace or salvation of Christianity. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. So fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot or whatever sort that is. That is peace. Our, Our world is not at peace. People are not at peace. But when you encounter a person who is at peace with themselves and with others, it is usually a remarkable thing to be seen. So what must we do to be a person of peace, not just with others, but within ourselves? Patience. It's weighed more towards the word, so this word patience, which I can't pronounce uh, in the Greek, it's weighted more towards the word long-suffering. But it also means endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, forbearance, slowness, in avenging wrongs, if avenging wrongs takes place at all. Long-suffering. Some of you know a lot about long-suffering because of your health, because of life circumstances, and your faithfulness in long-suffering, your belief that the Lord is working and continuing to work is a remarkable thing for people in the world to see. They would be angry. They would be bitter. They would be resentful. They would lash out. But Christians who are long-suffering, who are patient, are a stark contrast to how most people live in the world today. Kindness, um, benignity, benevolence, gentleness, warm-hearted, graciousness. Uh, my wife loves to watch that most recent rendition of Cinderella. I, I forget her name. The, I forget who the characters are in it, but in any case, uh, I, w- uh, I was made to watch part of it, so um, while I'm, but I was struck. <laughs> I was struck by uh, how Cinderella said, "Kindness doesn't cost you anything." I think she was speaking to uh, her stepmother, and the way she said it, the way she acted it out, was really beautiful. Kindness, just being kind to each other. Instead of rude, and angry, impatient, resentful, just the ease of kindness is something that is remarkable too. You know, you can be kind and it's kind of like work. But a person who expresses kindness in an easy sort of way, like it's effortless, that's a compelling thing. Goodness: A person who is upright of heart, moral purity, purity, ethical, disciplined. We all oftentimes call those people naive, people who, are, who have just a goodness of heart. And even as we may think they are naive and think that in a kind of cynical sort of way, we wish that we had some of that goodness, that moral purity. That freshness restored to our heart and soul. That we weren't cynical or hardened by life circumstances. Just good. Doing the right thing. And doing that easily as well. Faithfulness primarily means fidelity in conviction of the truth of anything. But we are faithful that we just trust the Lord and we trust in how he's working in our life. And we don't, we don't, uh, we don't uh, hesitate. We don't um, question. We just, we know and feel and experience the working of God in our life, regardless of the circumstances. Gentleness, which is kind of related to Kindness. But it's mildness, meekness, humility, warmth, tenderness, compassion, being merciful. Oftentimes, you see gentleness when a person is one person is expressing themselves in a a kind of like harsh way, and another person responds in a gentle fashion, and the contrast is just so sharp that uh, you know it's it's like where where Proverbs talks about how you know a gentle spirit turns aside wrath. You can't always be that way. Sometimes you have to be direct. But most of us would prefer rather being really direct and, you know, not as gentle. Self-control. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. If you are a person who is prone to self-control over your sensual appetites, you are a weirdo in the world in which we live today. People just don't understand self control because, because, because we live in a world that says, look, you should get to be anything you want to be. You should get to express yourself in whatever way you want to express yourself. And usually that is in some kind of sensual appetite. I've included this in, in brackets truth, although it's not included in Galatians, I think it's implied. I think the Christian has to be good at embracing the truth and articulating the truth. We had a young man over our house uh, he brought a he brought up a, a gift for our dog uh, Annie nice guy uh, in his early forties, not married. <coughs> I think we invited him to church <coughs> for Christmas Eve or something like that, and we got on a discussion about church and how he and his family uh, don't attend church because there was some kind of Um, altercation there between his parents and so he said to us that he and his parents had a conversation about how you don't have to go to church to be a good person. Now it would have been inappropriate for me to have jumped on that statement at that time but I filed it away and when I have the right opportunity I'm just gonna have that conversation with him. Look, you may look, the truth is, you may look like you are a good person in comparison to the rest of the world, and you are a good person, I would say to him, and his family, but your goodness in comparison to the holiness of God is not goodness, and that's what you have to fix, and that's why church is important to address and to deal with that. So here's what I want to do uh, with you this morning. Some of you got this card. Is there anybody who didn't get this yet? Yeah. Um, if uh, yeah. So I want you to take this card out. And as I said uh, earlier, what I want to do this year, beginning of this new year is, as I teach on what I consider to be the biblical necessities, biblical theology, biblical truth, it's easy, it's easy to talk about biblical truth, but then not fully appreciate how to make that work. So, okay, so how do I do this? How do I make this work in my life? Um, and so, that, so what I want to do, as much as I am able, is I want to create some action steps. Barry would call it homework. And so, uh, and so Barry, here's some homework for us, okay? So as you can see on this card, there is the list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and truth. And that I believe there are four weeks outlined here. And what I would like for everyone in this room to do is that I want you to wake up in the morning and ask yourself the question, what kind of a day am I going to have? What kind of people am I going to encounter? What particular one or more of these fruits of the Spirit might be really helpful for me to be proactive with in those circumstances? You following me? I'm going to be proactive in my day, with the fruit of the Spirit. And then you, you think that through, and then at the end of the day, before you go to bed, you take this out of your Bible, wherever you keep it, and you grade yourself. So if you exhibited a noble, sacrificial, unconditional kind of love, you give yourself a plus in that little square on that day. Um, if you could have loved somebody nobly, sacrificially, unconditionally, but didn't, you give yourself a negative. You could give yourself a plus and a negative because you could have multiple uh, experiences uh, in that day. And then give yourself like just a little zero if the opportunity just wasn't there. So for the next four weeks, you are intentionally trying to engage the fruits of the Spirit daily. And you are going to think about it so intentionally that by the end of the day, before you go to bed, you're going to give yourself a grade on each one of these. Any questions about that? Yeah, Jerry. Could we grade each other instead of Uh, (laughs) ourselves? Well... In my case, Jerry, I would lose every time. (laughs) So um, yeah, but but I would also say this, that if you see someone's card lying about in the house, don't read it. (laughs) Don't read it. Just respect the fact that they are engaging in this thing here, and that they accidentally left it out, and um, you know, and then I, I would say that if you could do this for four weeks, it will change your life. And it will change our church. And it will help you to do all the things that we talked about. That list of things, like it's the linchpin list. I think that if we do these kinds of things together, it's a wonderful way for it. And look, no one's sitting on your shoulder. Nobody's like, no one's pointing at you or whatever. This is, this is just you, between you and the Lord, about how you will engage in this kind of a thing called the fruit of the Spirit, which is so very, very important to us and to the world in which we live in. Can I telemarketers? Oh, telemarketers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you got me there, <laughs> telemarketers. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a challenge. I mean, look, it's like some. It is true that sometimes when you pray for patience, what does God do? He gets you a lot of practice, right? He just brings it to you, you know. And so, that that may happen. But I also would say this: that if you fail in anything, don't be discouraged. There's always a new day tomorrow. You can always start over. And you, and God is gracious and he is good. Yes, yeah, Frank. We'll maybe talk about Jesus Christ Oh, well, that's true. You, <laughs> maybe they quit calling because you tell them about Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Well, here's the here's the other interesting thing too. Like uh, you know, some of you you I mean we all have our sort of flat sides throughout the course of the day. Some of it's when we're driving. Right? Uh, not that I know of anybody who's like that, but uh, you know, I, I can be that way too. So anyway, I don't want to take too much time. If you have any questions, you feel free to call me or text me or whatever, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll do this together. Uh, and then it would be wonderful if maybe in four weeks or five weeks, if uh, some of you would be willing to give a testimony about how this impacted your life. you know? Just say, look, this is what I did, and this is what changed about me or changed in my life. So I think that could be a really powerful thing for all of us.